Mike, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Amateur Autors. You can follow us at Twitter at AutorsPod, or you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at theamateuraltorspodcast at gmail.com. Everybody, this week I'm joined by Mike Scott of the Dana Buckler Show and Atkins uh, Undisputed Podcast. Am I correct on that, Mike? You are. All right, perfect. I was like, oh man, I don't want to mess up the name of the podcast. But um, no, welcome back, man. It's been it's been quite a while since we've talked, and I've wanted to have you on for a little while now. Um, I was literally just sitting around, and I told you this. We just were just bullshitting for like an hour <laughs> off air before we got this because it's been so long. And I was thinking, man, I haven't talked to Mike in a while. What can we talk about? And the answer that came to my mind immediately was everything. So I had to rain back and think of something and i was actually watching uh i think the documentary was streetwise on uh the criterion under uh criterion collection and i thought you know what let's talk about documentaries so here we are mike we're going to talk about some documentaries but before we get into i guess the main bulk of the episode why don't you uh let everyone know where we can find you and the stuff you're working on right now yeah absolutely you you can follow me personally on twitter at hibachi justice and on letterboxd you can find my work with Dana, uh, the 20th Century Movie Club at Linktree slash Dana Buckler Show. And then you can find my work on the Adkins Undisputed podcast, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world at Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed pod, or just follow us on Twitter at Adkins podcast. Awesome. Yeah. And I, again, once again, highly recommend both the shows. Um really good listens and uh but yeah once again mike welcome back to the show and uh i wanted to ask you right up front what's your opinion on on documentaries because i feel like the documentary is a very underappreciated uh genre of filmmaking i feel like i don't know i just feel like not many people are talking about like good solid documentaries i mean there there are the classics that we think of but not not too many people are talking about them no, I mean, documentaries are kind of one of those things that, um, so, you know, there's an Oscar for documentaries every year, but they are a thing that I feel like people oftentimes treat more as like homework than something that they want to watch. And that's just wrong. That's just not the right way to view documentaries. Uh, uh, documentaries are a incredibly valid form of filmmaking and quite frankly are often more moving you know Roger Ebert famous quote called movies uh, empathy machines essentially I, I'm paraphrasing but they the idea is they're a vehicle for empathy and there's nothing more empathetic than real people and so documentaries are arguably i think the ultimate film format uh if we're if we're going to start from the position that movies are are machines or vehicles for empathy then you can never have anything more pure than a documentary when it comes to cinema uh but like i said most people their views of documentaries are shit they had to watch in junior high 
right? Like our high school, like your teacher doesn't feel like teaching uh, your history teacher doesn't feel like teaching. And so they throw on a fucking documentary and you have to sit through it and you don't like it. And that's just not what they are uh, at all. So I, I hope we can encourage some people to check some, some documentaries out. Yeah. And I, I feel like now we're getting a resurgence of maybe not documentaries, but the docu series, you know, uh, it's, we're getting a lot of, it's mostly true crime that I'm seeing and all on I, I, most of the ones I'm seeing are on Netflix. You know, you got Tiger King making a murderer, evil genius, uh, all the serial killer, like Ted Bundy tapes or something, whatever. Um, we're seeing a resurgence of docu-series and I think podcasting is also responsible for that as well you know something like Serial or um, Up and Vanished funny enough those are all true crime that I've just mentioned but I I think there is some resurgence of people getting familiar with the docu-series but I guess because they're told in such a way that you're like there's no way this is reality there's no way this happened you know like evil genius for example it's the whole 30 minutes or less the whole premise of 30 minutes or less and that documentary you're just like there's no way this actually happened and it did and i think people have that suspension of disbelief um the documentaries that i chose i i i think are very they are very much grounded in reality and uh but they are definitely entertaining um but yeah, I, I do love documentaries. Uh, I My favorite type of, and this goes into like books as well, is like the memoir. Uh, I do, like I, I, I try and read as much as I can, but if a book at this age, if a book doesn't capture my attention, it's very hard for me to get into it. I think that's just from years of being in high school and them forcing me to read books and I just couldn't get into it if I wasn't into it. Um, but I, almost always a memoir will catch my attention. And I think it's kind of the same idea with a documentary. It's just, it's kind of just like the empathy, it's the real life. And like, these are actually real events that are unfolding before us. Um, and I also think documentaries are a really undervalued and underappreciated form of storytelling because that is a documentary. It's it's not exactly, and it's it's not an unfiltered view. It is still filmmakers with a perspective of a story in mind. And it's a very elementary understanding or it's, or it's implementing a very basic form of, of uh, storytelling and and I think a lot of people just overlook that in the documentary but they are still being told a very basic story utilizing basic storytelling elements absolutely and I love that you brought up how like the true crime thing and and Netflix because one of the things for documentaries is they're super cheap by and large to make. And so Netflix and Hulu and the streaming services, they're pumping them out now, which is why we've had a little bit of a resurgence. But the thing is, they've always existed. What really happens when you have actual talented filmmakers, Barbara Coppola, Alex Gibney, Errol Morris, people like that, is they do know how to use their view, their perspective, to tell a story like a storyteller. It almost goes back to documentaries, you know, because we think they're they're just completely nonfiction and they're not, they're, they're very skewed. Like that's the purpose is the documentarian is telling the story, but that goes back to Homer, right? The, the Iliad is essentially a documentary but it's a documentary told through Homer's eyes. 
And so it's got Homer's view and Homer's perspective. Nothing about modern documentaries is any different. It doesn't make them invalid in any way. What it does is it makes them, like you said, fundamental forms of cinema and storytelling and important things that we we need to know. You you know, you mentioned memoirs. I think of things like um, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, who, you know, he sort of revolutionized that genre by telling that story from the perspective of the killers and 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 so it's this weird mix of nonfiction and fiction not because he's making stuff up but because he's fictionalizing the perspective by which he's telling the story and i think the best documentaries do that they give us a point of view to because if we just watch something that was just wrote here's the facts, here's this, here's this, here's this, and that. that's not compelling cinema. What's compelling cinema is I am the documentarian. I'm not making shit up, but I am telling this story from a point of view. Uh, and that's what I love about them. That's what makes them, I think, so compelling. Yeah, exactly. And so this episode, uh, we were kind of going back and forth, like, how many do we discuss? We thought one was too little, but three maybe. Well, I'm we're honestly probably going to be recommending more than three, just, but we're, we chose to fo- have two focused documentaries each. So I guess I can start going into it. I think this first documentary, you've very high probability you've, you've seen, and you'll have some uh, uh, good opinions on it. Um, I, for my first one, this was kind of. Uh, not obviously not my first documentary, but it really had me thinking about documentaries and like the crafting of narratives when I first saw it, when I was, I was around like a freshman in uh, college. And that is 1977's Pumping Iron starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno among many other bodybuilders of that era. So Pumping Iron, for those who haven't seen it, it is, uh, it is docu- uh, documentarians documenting the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's last uh, Mr. Olympia and I think it was 76 I believe uh, it was it was in this mid-70s and they filmed both amateur and uh, pro and it was this first glimpse of what bodybuilding was and you know hearing why this documentary was so special especially at that time was because this was such a niche market I mean now in the modern United States and modern world, like the fitness industry is all about aesthetics, really. You know, you have all these brands of Gymshark, uh, I don't know, Nike, Adidas, you're getting all these fitness models. And now it's like, it's proud to be fit. But in the mid seventies, that really wasn't so much a thing. You know, you, you had your sports, your athletes, but like, you know, there was like the average man. Now these companies are promoting this. And this is a debate and a topic of discussion for a whole other at a whole other podcast, but, you know, they're promoting this pretty unrealistic, unnatural idea of fitness. But in the seventies, that really wasn't a thing, you know, and that's why, you know, people were so enamored with uh, the bodybuilding that especially Arnold Schwarzenegger, these guys were got like huge gods. And obviously they were using gear, you know, they were, they were, they've admitted to using anabolic steroids. You can't get this big naturally. But, you know, different time period, but why, and, and, and I'm, like, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty much into fitness. Uh, I, I don't follow Mr. Olympia. I don't follow any of that now because what the sport has turned into is 
something completely different than what it was in the 70s. You know, these guys now are, they don't even look human. And I don't mean that in as a positive. I mean that as like, this is insane that people are like destroying their bodies for this. It's very performative, right? Mm -hmm. Like modern bodybuilding is very much, you know, they're not, I've got a lot of friends. I am for people listening who probably don't know what I look like. I am a doughy fat white guy, Uh, but I have a lot of friends who are very much into fitness and they look much more like a lot of the bodybuilders that you see in pumping iron. The ones you see now, it's very performative. They're not building, they're building show muscles. They're not building, like they're not actually strong. They're not, you know, if you look at somebody like, reprehensible human though he may be conor mcgregor he does not look like a bodybuilder yet he is one of the fittest toughest strongest human beings on earth so much about modern bodybuilding is glamour muscles is basically what they call them right your big biceps but your brachialis is nothing and 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 you've got you know and you're not actually working on your like lats and your traps because you're interested in how you look it's a very different world now. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly and so i mean i bring this up because it's i mean it's it's it's, it's so fascinating especially in this documentary like you see on schwarzenegger you're like holy shit this guy is massive lou frigno these guys are like all of these guys are massive and i think there there, there is something to say when um i i think it's, it's like that, uh, I, they, they say like, oh, like we'll never be as big as you. And he's like, yeah, I know you're never, you'll never be as big as me. Like that kind of that cocky attitude. And it, and it's just kind of, there's no, another world, but it's like we said, I think that this film should be taught in all like intro film classes, because this is one of those films about, like we were saying, crafting a narrative from nothing, you know, the the documentarians they were so fascinated by this this world and and the book that this was based or like kind of the the memoir that pumping iron was and they went in and they shot like hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage they brought uh they brought i forget the actor from mash but they brought like one of the skinnier guys in for mash and had arnold schwarzenegger work out with him and they had this whole segment and it was going to go that way and then it really wasn't working. And then they're like, okay, well, let's just start filming everything. And then in the editing room, let's put this story together. And it was in that editing room when they made the the underdog uh, versus the top dog on Schwarzenegger versus Lou Ferrigno, who was like 23 at the time of this movie, or 24, 23, 24. He was a year younger than me at the time of this recording. And I was like, oh my God, Arnold Schwarzenegger is late 20s. All of them were in there mid to late 20s maybe early 30s so you have that as like the main draw is like david versus (laughs) david quote unquote versus goliath and then you know with with um in the amateur world you have this uh hero versus villain type mentality and then you find out that all of that was synthetic you know all of it was was made in the editing room where they actually brought back the bodybuilders and said hey just like throw around this football and just like 
talk about antagonizing the other guy and that went in the documentary and then you know you watch the behind the scenes or like afterwards and the guy was like i wish i never did that because i would go to bodybuilding competitions and people would boo me because they thought i was antagonizing the hero and then i won and people thought i cheated him and and i did this mind games and i and i think that's great because all of them were friends they all lifted together they all went to gold's gym they all met up they all were you know it was all friendly and arnold schwarzenegger's even said oh i was really cocky during that i felt like i had to put on like you said a show i had to give this perception that i was this big macho man and because there was the whole segment of oh you know you can't you can't have any any distractions you know my father died and it was two months before competition and i didn't go home for the funeral because I had to be, I had to be focused or his cocky lines was all oh, the pump. It's, it's like coming, you know, I, I come at home. I come in the gym. It's great. I love my life. And, and it's so funny just how these guys think they're these big showmen and it's all just for show. I mean, they are, they are showmen for the sport, but I think it's interesting when you look at it uh, with that subtext, the documentary, it's fascinating just watching these guys. And then Lou Ferrigno was just, I just, I'm here to lift big, heavy things and put them back down. And he wasn't much for the, uh, he was the strong silent type where Arnold Schwarzenegger was the big outgoing. I'm going to flex everywhere I go. Cause I'm the biggest guy here. Yeah, absolutely. It's been years since I've seen pumping iron, but it, I, I wholeheartedly concur with this recommendation because it's, and that is one of the things that we always do have to keep in mind. I think it's one of the strengths of documentaries, but we also, you know, to counter it with what I think the negative, the downside of documentaries is reality television, things like The Bachelor, you know, so many documentaries are made in the edit. They shoot hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage and then they edit them together and they decide who's the hero and who's the villain. And that has long-term consequences, but I don't necessarily think pumping iron, you know, it doesn't fit in the bachelor category. It's much more a documentary, like a proper true documentary, but um, there is still always going to be that, that aspect of it. Right. And, and I think that's important to remember uh, but I think it's a, it's still a terrific movie. It's still something everybody should see. Yeah. And, and what I, another thing I like about it is like you said, it's, there are, like we we're mentioning, there are like synthetic things that are like pumped in there and kind of probed by the filmmakers and, and just the editing and how they frame things. But there also is truth to it. You know, there is the camaraderie that you see there. There is like the, the, the sportsmanship, there is the competitive nature, but also just like how, like, yeah, these guys were all using steroids. Like we all know that, but they still have to work hard to get that. The steroids just help recover faster. They're still in the gym two, three times a day. They're still lifting at legitimately heavy weights and you know, they are pushing themselves through it. They are, you know, throwing up in the gym. They are pushing themselves where they, their muscles fatigue to the point where they collapse after they rack a weight and they have to lay down for like 10 minutes because they fatigue themselves. Like they are, this isn't, uh, this, it feels like there's like, you know, like blood, sweat and tears going into this. And, it, and there's that, that grittiness feels real. Um, 
and just you know that juxtaposition of just someone chasing greatness you know one of the one of the, the standout moments for me is when we're getting the juxtaposition of Arnold Schwarzenegger working out in sunny California Gold's Gym and then juxtaposed with Lou Ferrigno working out in Brooklyn in this back alley gym and there's like you know fat guys in the background like kind of lifting incorrectly and he's he's just he's military pressing like 250 pounds and he's just like he's just screaming Arnold's name wanting to beat him and and then the relationship with his father gets tied into there's such a there's so many levels to the documentary that it's both like there's it's it is there are lots of real components into it but there is some some uh, fiction kind of wrapped into it as well and I think that's why I really enjoy this documentary because it, it it has that realness and it's it's not like totally it's not a satire or anything like that but it's also not a hundred percent like you know it's 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 gripping but there are those narrative components that the documentarians definitely like yep we're gonna throw those in there yeah absolutely I mean and the best documentaries are always narrative like we there you can't divorce that narrative that's what makes a good documentary is the narrative it's just the question is are they making shit up or are they just crafting a story and if they're crafting a story then that makes a good documentary uh as far as i'm concerned yeah exactly so with that being said yeah i mean i highly recommend pumping iron i think every every movie we are going to talk about here it's going to be a high recommendation but uh, let's go into your first pick mike if we're done with uh, pumping iron yeah yeah i don't I, it's been so long since i've seen it i don't have anything else to add so my first pick so my second pick is a brand new documentary literally came out in 2020 and as i was trying to think about what other documentaries i wanted to talk about i realized that i had one that was a fairly major blind spot in that i hadn't watched it and so I decided, I think I'm going to want to talk about this one. And if I watch it and I don't like it, fine, I'll come up with something else. Luckily, uh, the hype was real. Uh, it was the, it was the uh, winner for Best Documentary in the 49th Academy Awards. Uh, it came out in 1976, the year of my birth, because I'm fucking old. Uh, it's Barbara Copel's Harlan County, USA. Uh, Mike, have you ever actually seen this one? Uh, no, I don't, I don't believe I have. Um, sounds familiar though, because this does sound like a very well-known documentary. It's a legendary documentary. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of considered one of like, maybe like the 10 best documentaries of all time. And I, it, it had been on my watch list. For I'm not kidding, 20 fucking years. Uh, and uh, so I finally, thanks to you, got off my ass and watched it. So it's directed by the great Barbara Koppel, or Co I think it's Koppel is how you pronounce her last name. Uh, and it was her first major documentary. What it's about, essentially, is a miners' strike in 1973 in Harlan County, uh, Kentucky. And... Uh, for those who that name might ring some bells if you're justified fans 
that's where Justified takes place is Harlan County. Uh, but what this really covers is the battle between the company that owns the mines and the union that is striking to try and get better benefits, better pay, stuff like that. And we know now in 2021, the long-term damaging effects of working in coal mines. But when this was made, so much of that was up for debate. And that's what really hit me with this movie is the back and forth. You know, now we live in a world in 2021 of CTE and professional sports leagues denying the effects of concussions. And there's literally scenes in this movie of people from the company saying there's no scientific evidence that working in the coal mine leads to lung problems. And meanwhile, we're also seeing people literally die from black lung. Uh, and this is one of the things that I love about documentaries is so many of them are so timeless. This movie hits just as hard now in 2021 you know, as we're living in a world where we're dealing with workers' rights and uh, fighting over minimum wage and the value of unions and the value of, you know, how or how capitalism wears us down and destroys us physically and mentally, this hits just as hard today as it did in 1976. I am ashamed to say that I had never watched this before today. I was gobsmacked watching this movie. I, I was just destroyed by the end of this movie. And it is one of the things that I love most about good documentaries where Copel, she's not part of the equation. She is because as we've talked about, she's still doing the edit and stuff like that. But she was a disciple of the great documentarian D.A. Pennebaker. And so she's not in the movie. She's not a factor in the movie. It's just interviews and quotes and stuff from the actual people who matter. And sure, she edits it because it's very clear as you're watching the movie, she's on the side of the workers. Like this is not an unbiased documentary, uh, but giving, given my political beliefs, I'm fine with that because I'm on the side of the workers typically as well. Uh, but she takes herself out of the equation as much as she can. Um, we get basically a whole year of her following these striking miners and their families. We get uh, uh, just a devastating scene where one of the strikers is, is killed by a strike breaker and we get the family and the funeral uh, and we get the end, which is a minor consolation of them all coming to an agreement. But even then, a lot of the miners are like, well, this isn't really going to do much for me. You know, there's there's a great scene of a guy saying, you know, three years ago, we were promised $50 a day. And now we signed this agreement and I'm going to get $50 a day in another three years. Uh, and and this one of the few times Copel actually interjects herself into the story. She says, well, you know, what are you thinking about retirement? He goes, I'm old enough to retire, but I can't afford to live on retirement. So back down to the mine I go, you know, and it just wrecks you 
as you're watching it. It just is absolutely devastating. Um, this is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. I think it's arguably one of the best movies that has ever been made. And I cannot encourage people highly enough to watch it. Yeah, this it's, it's, I think it's interesting too, that our first picks were both documentaries from the seventies. I think that speaks of uh, an era of doc, like documentary making that, might be even be lost now um just kind of like the because when i think of the 70s i also think of you know something like gray gardens you know just like this very candid look at this where the documentarians try not to put themselves into the documentary like they don't want their identities tainting the overall story although like they are you know crafting the narrative and that is you know arguably their identity is like how it's edited however it, they try and I try and minimize that or, you know, it's, or if they do have to interject, it's as little as possible. Um, and yeah, this, but this definitely sounds like a very, you, cause I have, I've have heard of this documentary and this is another reason why I wanted to get your opinion because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get some great at the end of the day, if I haven't seen any, I'm going to get some great recommendations for uh, these documentaries um, that I can watch. But yeah, this definitely sounds like a very, real story that I think especially like 70s cinema was really uh, really focusing on at this time um so this sounds like a really good recommendation that I'm very interested in checking out yeah absolutely it's very 70s and and, and I mean that in a good way it it you know the 70s were such an interesting decade uh, both in documentary and fictional filmmaking because there was so much cynicism coming out of the 60s but with the hope that there could be a better tomorrow and unfortunately 40 years later it's kind of tough to say that there was a better tomorrow right like i i feel like we've haven't really grown or changed you know i live in utah it's a relatively significant coal mining state and we had a massive coal mine disaster five or six years ago that that you know it's like well no nothing's changed you know and we even had a certain former president trumpeting he's going to keep the coal mines going and it's like well yeah but coal mines also kill people like shouldn't we be thinking about not that i want to go off on a political rant because that's not what the show's about but shouldn't we think be thinking about alternatives and in this movie they're literally talking about stuff like that and it's like have we gone anywhere in 40 years um like i said this movie just devastated me it was I, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It, it, I rated it five stars on Letterboxd. I stand by that. I'm going to stand by that until the day I die. It's, it, it, it's what documentaries are supposed to do is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. And this sounds like for when you're describing this, like the, the images that conjure for me, I think of something like, I just think of like, you know, contemporary films. I think of October sky. I think of uh, Billy Elliot, you know, focusing on coal miners yeah and we get this whole we get uh these these uh film depictions of just like how brutal these conditions were you know uh just being coal miners and like coal miner strikes and just how devastating they were to the communities and it's interesting because 
you know, again, not, not to get political, but it's, it's, it's like, that's the idea that so much of like blue collar America, blue collar anywhere. It's this idea of, Oh, men going into mines and bringing out coal and, Oh, like, Oh, my, my grandfather died of the black lung. Cause he was the man's man. And you're like, Hmm, that's a really interesting way to describe like like this ultimate it's like self-sacrifice it almost seems like and oh this is the hard working backs this is what's powering like your home powering everything else and this documentary seems like now it's it's not a film depiction it's not a hollywood depiction of these coal miners it's a, a very candid here's the camera this is how people are responding to it so this definitely sounds like a documentary i want to check out it would actually make a hell of a double feature with October Sky. I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought that up. It, it would actually, I would start with Harlan County, USA, and then I would finish because October Sky ultimately ends with like warm fuzzies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but I love October Sky. I think that's a brilliant film. I think it's arguably Joe Johnston's best movie. They would play incredibly well together. Uh Billy Elliot also, because especially with Billy Elliot, there's so much about the strike and and, you know, because his dad's on strike in that movie and stuff like that. And this is the thing we've again, I don't want to get political, but we've destroyed unions in this country in the 70s. We're back when unions actually had power. And so there is an actual back and forth here of the union versus the company. Now, you know, we don't have strikes anymore because frankly, the unions, they don't have the power and people can't afford to go on strike. Um, It's, it's a very cynical black movie for a time when movies could be cynical and black because they hoped there was a better tomorrow. It hits differently now because they we know there wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you no, know, it's only gotten worse. Yeah, and that's like the ultimate tragedy. We can look back what like almost like forty years later and be like, damn, nothing changed. <laughs> Which I laugh, but it's like, yeah, that's it is what it is, and that's yeah. Now I'm definitely even more looking, and we'll say where all these are available to stream or, or to to watch at the end of the show. But um, but yeah, if that's uh, do you have any more closing remarks for this documentary? Nope, I'm good. Just fucking watch it. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so I can move on to my second recommendation. Um, this is a, another documentary that I watched around the same time as uh, Pumping Iron. And this honestly is my favorite documentary uh, that I've ever seen like this. I always talk about this, this movie. And I, I, so the, the, the name of the movie is 2005's murder ball. Mike, do you, have you seen murder ball? Oh yeah. I actually good. saw it at Sundance. Oh, okay. Good. Cause I was going to say, if you haven't, I was going to say, what do you think murder ball is? Cause I was, uh, I was asking my girlfriend this cause she, she hasn't seen it. And I said, Hey, but cause I was telling her about this episode and I said, Hey, murder ball. What, how would you describe what what do you think this movie's about without me telling you anything about it, no context and she had no idea she couldn't she couldn't get it but for those who have not seen this movie murder ball is about uh, it's quadriplegic rugby essentially i'm tr- I, I i was trying to describe the sport uh i i guess 
yeah, rugby played in wheelchairs or uh, if people have played handball, uh, it's kind of like a similar idea, except in wheelchairs, except the wheelchairs, quoting the movie here, are they uh, special, specially designed wheelchairs that are made, they call them Mad Max chairs that they shove into each other at full speed. And I, I love the documentary. I love the, I just how I love, let's put it this way, the Mark Zupan, uh, Andy Cohen, Scott Hogsett, uh, all of these guys, when this film was being uh, promoted and it was being released, they are, they got really close with the jackass guys and they were doing antics and uh, Mark Zupan has actually made cameo appearances in, I think, Jackass number two and the show. So, or at least, at least Jackass two. So let's put like, that's the type of humor and the guys that they hang out with. So you're getting a lot of uh, guys that would hang out with Knoxville, Steve-O and Chris Pontius, but it's a very candid and real uh, look into this world that a lot of people don't they a lot of people want to kind of ignore i think they're uncomfortable they don't know how to talk about people that are handicapped and that are disabled and this film is very uh crass and how it it's it's head on and i love and they couldn't have gotten better personalities i think the the one of the opening lines uh right before the opening credits is uh, andy cohen he's like yeah i just love uh when i go to the grocery store and I get all my, gro- I get, I drive there, I go and get my groceries and I put my groceries back in my car and someone comes up and says, Hey, do you, do you need some help getting into your car? And then I wouldn't have come to the grocery store if I couldn't get back into my car and then it cuts. And I think that is like the perfect embodiment, the perfect quote for this movie. Um, yeah. So you, Mike, you mentioned you saw uh, Murderball at uh, Sundance when it came out, right? Yeah. What'd you, yeah. So what did you think? What, so what, what do you think about murder ball? I love, I love murder ball. I, so first of all, for me, I am a big, uh, I, for people that don't know, I'm a big hockey fan. And that means I'm also a big sledge hockey fan, which is the special Olympic version of hockey where it's usually uh, paraplegics playing hockey on essentially these sleds and, so murder ball immediately piqued my interest because it was in that same vein. And I, I love it. I think it's terrific. I I'm with you. I think they picked absolutely the right personalities to build this movie around. Uh, but I also love the idea of, um, you know, we always talk a lot about, differently abled and handy capable and stuff like that and and what murder ball really shows is like yeah these folks can do they they live complete lives they're you know and they're they're doing their thing um and frankly the the sports scenes the actual uh, quote unquote action scenes are insane like these guys are trying to kill one another like they are absolutely trying to like murder ball is an appropriate name for what they're doing uh i love it i think it's a terrific documentary it's it's very entertaining it it does exactly what the best documentaries do it educates while entertaining and and you learn about somebody who's not like you 
uh, but you're also just wildly entertained while doing it. So yeah. I, I, I love it. I loved it when I saw it at Sundance. I've probably seen it three or four times since. It's been a long time since I've rewatched it, but I this one gets a strong, uh, uh, strong recommendation for me as well. Yeah, it, and it's, it's funny because it's like it's about people that aren't like you but are, and like I think that's like the whole message you're trying to get at, and and it's very it's very it's very open with everything. There's a scene when it, they talk about how do they have sex, and they it's 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 done in a very humorous way but it's also very real uh they sh- they sh- show the opening to uh, a doctor like so it there's it, there's it's following these athletes going to the athens games and then there's also like a side uh narrative where it's a newly handicapped uh man keith and his recovery process kind of coming to terms with his uh his his accident and his in his ne- his new reality and and there's he's, and he says, oh, like, uh, I have a girlfriend. Am I going to be able to have sex with her? And, and the doctor says, the short answer is yes. We have an instructional video. And then they play the opening of the video. And it's and, and then they interview guys uh, saying, oh, yeah, like, here's my favorite position. This is, you know, it's I love the chair. It makes me it makes women feel bad for me. And it's just I play I work I work I work it into my game. And they're just so like they embrace it and they're not embarrassed by it. They're not, uh, they, they love, they use it as a humorous, uh, a story like Scott Hogsett during the segment tells the story of how he got an erection during a sponge bath and how the nurses were so excited that they called his mom in and he saw his erection because like, Oh, he, he can feel, he can feel it. And he was so embarrassed that he could get, he was both horrified that his mom came in while he had an erection but he was also relieved that he could get an erection and then Andy Cohen was describing the experience the first time he had sex with a woman while after his accident he said yeah it just made me feel whole again and and I love how the documentary does not shy away from that and and even the depiction of uh the quote-unquote villain the antagonist of Joe Suarez he is a dickhead he is an asshole but they do try and humanize him with with his son robert who is very different from him and they do they do bring that question up and i've seen interviews with joe suarez after the fact where he said that again I, he's like i i wish i could have done it differently because the again the narrative was that he was so obsessed with beating team america because he was the the context is joe suarez was a. Uh, was a player through the eighties and nineties for the Olympic teams. He got cut, took it personally and went to go coach at rival teams, Canada specifically to try and beat the United States. And he brought their strategies. He was a quote unquote turncoat. And uh, Mark Zupan says like, if he was on fire, I wouldn't piss on him. Uh, But then we get these moments with his interactions with his son and his wife. And I'm like, Oh, like he's doesn't like, yeah, he seems like kind of like a, an asshole, but but it's more layered than that and i really appreciate how they do try and humanize the quote-unquote antagonist of the movie well and that's the thing that i think the best documentaries do you don't necessarily have to sympathize with your subject right like obviously if you're doing a true crime documentary you don't want to sympathize with the person that you're interviewing but you do have to empathize with them. You have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. And there is so much empathy 
in murder ball for everybody involved in it there's just so much empathy the filmmakers fill for these people they want to give them their time to shine whether it's a hero or a villain or whoever they think they're heroes and they want them to have their moment in the spotlight and i think that's you know it's the same thing that you know we're gonna have some honorable mentions and i don't know if this would be one but I'm just going to tie it in. It's the same thing with Hoop Dreams, right? Which Mm -hmm. many people would argue is maybe the best, certainly the best sports documentary of all time. The filmmakers of Hoop Dreams have so much empathy. They can't sympathize. They're not young kids growing up in the inner city, hoping the basketball is going to be their ticket out. They can't sympathize, but they can empathize. And, and, empathize with that human connection of wanting to be better be different be whole and murder ball that just oozes out of the entire running time of murder ball of like yeah you suffered this terrible accident and you are different now but you're not wrong you're not broken you're not any you're still you and you're still a valid person deserving of love and sex and success and all of these other things like it's it's actually kind of a crazily moving and emotional movie i think because at the end of the day it's still a sports documentary right like it's still about a bunch of badasses doing sports shit but it's so weirdly emotionally moving as well. Um, I, I love that you brought this one up. This is terrific, man. And since we're on the topic of Murder Ball, I'll switch just real quick to the memoir. Have you read Mark Zupan's memoir, Gimp? I haven't. I always wanted to after I saw Murder Ball, but I, I didn't actually ever sit down and read it. I highly recommend because for years, Murder Ball's been my favorite documentary. And I heard, you know, Mark Zupan wrote a memoir. And it wasn't until last year that I said, you know what, I'm going to get this book and finally sit down and read it. And I read his book in like I, I mentioned, oh, reading. It was I like I love reading. But if the book doesn't capture my attention, I either read a book in three days or I don't finish a book. And and I and I don't I, I don't like that quality in myself, but it's just how I am. That's why I gravitate towards movies, but I sat down same, and I, brother. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. And I, and I read GIMP in three days. Um, and what I, and it's what I really enjoy about it is it's just so unapo- unapologetic with his feelings and how, it be, and it, what's interesting about it is I'd say it doesn't really focus a whole lot on playing quad rugby. There's a little bit mentioned towards the end of the book, um, and they mentioned Murder Ball. I got the impression that Mark Zupan was like, if you want to hear about my Murder Ball experience, watch the documentary. He kind of mentions like the like leading up to uh, like how we got into it and leading up to the documentary. But the first half of the book is entirely him describing his life able bodied. And then the second half of the book is is him after the accident. And I really love 
him portraying or just discussing how the type of person he was, the behaviors, the toxic behaviors that kind of led to his accident. Because for those who don't know, and he just and they discuss it in the movie, but they he describes what actually happened in the book. Uh, Mark Zupan was out drinking at a he was a D1 college uh, soccer player, and I think. Uh, Central Florida uh, or University of Florida, but he and his buddies went out. They partied hard. He fell asleep in the back of his buddy's pickup truck, uh, who he's best friends with since he was in high school. And his buddy passed out of the bar, got up, drove drunk, and uh, hit a meet. Didn't realize Mark Zupan was in the back of his truck. Hit a median and sent Mark Zupan flying into a canal. And he stayed there for, I think it was like thirteen and a half hours. And and it's interesting when you get to that part, just like all the drinking and partying they did in high school, all the reckless behaviors, just complete lack. It's like, oh, we're on top of the world. You're young. Doesn't matter. And then that shift when he's in the water and he's describing these moments where he can't move his legs. He can't feel anything. He's hanging onto a branch. The water is so cold. He's in shock. His he, I think when they pulled him out of the water, they said that his uh, his heart rate was like. 35 beats or something and the cold water actually helped make his injury less severe because it just it, it didn't uh there was less inflammation around his spine but then him just like coming to terms with that and talking about it and the anger that he had and just wanting to walk again and how he went to his high school to say this is what happens when you drink and drive and just the embarrassment that he felt in that moment because he thought that he was going to come in and be this all-inspiring figure and try and change someone's life and he realized that he was just like the freak in the chair at his high school that he was once like a soccer star at and people just didn't care about him anymore and it's so unapologetic in how he is feeling and it's and then you know towards the end he's discussing is coming to terms and how it changed him as a person and I highly, highly recommend the, the movie as well as the book, especially in conjunction. I think GIMP is a book that every single high school student, student should read at some point. It should be, if not part of a curriculum, it should, like, people should read this book. It's, 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 it puts so much in perspective, as well as the movie. It really makes you makes you appreciate the things that we take for granted. You know, it... it, it you know, putting your shoes on and like just walking out your front door or like walking through grass or walking on the beach. Like it makes you really appreciate all of these things that you can do that we just pay no, never mind to. I'll have to check it out. That, uh, that sounds terrific. Yeah. I highly recommend it, but, um, but yeah, so that's all I had to say about Murderable. Highly recommend the documentary. Um, and if you're, if you got nothing else to say, we'll go into your, uh, your last recommendation. Yeah. So just other than just watch murder ball, that's mm-hmm. uh, so my last recommendation, like I mentioned earlier is a fairly brand new uh, documentary. It was released in September of 2020. Um, and, you know, it's a movie podcast. So I felt like I had to recommend a movie documentary uh, it, it, of which I love a bunch of them. That's, the bulk of the documentaries that I watch are movie ones. And this one is called Stunt Women, The Untold Hollywood Story. It is directed by, uh, it's based on a book, but uh, based on a book by Molly Gregory, but directed by April Wright. 
And what it essentially is, is a documentary about the long history of stunt women who have been, shall we say, uh, not given the credit that they deserve over time. Um, and what I love about it is that it does a couple of things that a lot of documentaries don't do. Now, one of the things I hate about documentaries is so many of them are just talking heads. I, I'm thinking, for instance, of the In Search of Darkness documentaries about horror movies of the 80s, where it's just a bunch of talking heads basically saying, hey, let's remember some movies. And that's fine, but it gets kind of dull. So what Stunt Women does instead is it basically takes two current working stunt women, Amy Johnston, who is one of my favorite working actresses and stunt women, and Alima Dorsey, and has them interview stunt women that came before them. And what you end up with is a who's who, a like heavy hitter lineup of the stunt women that have made modern action as we know it, uh, including like Linda Carter's stunt double from Wonder Woman and uh, the first Julianne Johnston, who is the first female uh, stunt coordinator in television. She was the, ended up the stunt coordinator for Charlie's Angels. Uh, J.D. David, who is Pam Greer's longtime stunt double all through all of Pam Greer's black exploitation movies. And Dorsey and Johnston just sit down and talk to these women. So it's not really like a, an interview kind of situation. They're just like, let's shoot the shit. But then it also goes into how stunts are done. And starting with the way they were done in the 20s up to now where we do things like previs and stuff like that. So it is a documentary that is not just giving credit and paying homage to the stunt women who have made Hollywood function. It's also kind of 90 minutes of film school which is my favorite kind of documentary, right? Like you're being told an interesting story, but you're also getting, oh shit, that's how this works. So like, I'm an action guy. I should know previs like the back of my hand. Nothing I've ever seen has explained previs to me the way this documentary does. And for those who don't know what previs is, it's basically before you shoot an action scene, you bring in a bunch of stunt people and you film it and you model it in a 3d program so that when you bring the very expensive actors on set you've already got the shot done all they have to do is hit their marks and hit their points and the shots are the shot's going to be perfect you don't even have to fucking edit it most of the time i didn't get that until i watched this documentary um this is if you're interested in film, if you're interested in action movies, I, I cannot recommend this movie highly enough.
Interesting. Yeah, I I have to admit this is a a subject I am not well versed in. I'm very uneducated there. The only um, stunt woman that I really know of is uh, Zobel with her work with Tarantino, uh, and I love her for that. Uh, Cor- uh, there's a YouTube channel, Corridor Digital, and they have uh, they have a series of uh, it's called their their video effects artists. Uh, VFX artists react to blank, but they have a a sub category of that where it's stunt uh, stunt coordinators or stunt uh, stunt actors res- res- uh, respond to stunts, and they do have women on there too. And I really do appreciate that perspective as well, and then breaking down different sequences of stunts and and even stunts that they use. They get a lot of uh, Marvel uh, stunt act actor or stunt performers. And I'm like, Oh, okay. This is really unique and cool. So yeah, this is something that I'm uneducated on, but it's something that I would like to learn more about and hear these stories. Yeah. And this one, speaking of Marvel, this one, uh, very major focal point of it is the moneymaker sisters, uh, Heidi moneymaker for those who don't know is Scarlett Johansson's stunt double for black widow. She basically, Anytime Black Widow does something cool in a Marvel movie, it's Heidi Moneymaker doing it. Um, if anybody watches American Ninja Warrior, Jesse Graf uh, is uh, a big part of this movie. You know, she's the greatest female American Ninja Warrior star ever, but she's also a big part of this because she's a working stunt woman as well. Um, Mike, I can't imagine that you won't just absolutely flip your shit for this movie. If mm-hmm. you watch it. Like, I, I think it's just you'll you'll love every second of it. Knowing again to some of the stuff you've done, you know, I, you were lucky enough. I was lucky enough to see your short film. I know how much you like this kind of stuff. You're going to flip your shit when you watch this one. You will love this movie. Awesome. Yeah, I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. Um, before we, because uh, I, I do want to say, uh, we'll look real quick and just say where these these uh, documentaries are available. Uh, I do have at least one. I mean, we could talk about honor, honorable mentions uh, all day. Um, I do want to, I do have one honorable mention that I would like to discuss, just like briefly just mention it. Uh, we don't have to go like really thoroughly in depth. Uh, it's another uh movie based in I, I get that I guess athletics but it's uh it's more I think more about like the heat like the power of uh the human mind and just like what people are able to do to push themselves it, my honorable mention is uh the Barkley Marathon have you ever heard of this documentary no I actually haven't I this is I'm Tell me about it because yeah. I know nothing about this. So one. the the Barkley Marathon is a documentary that is about what is called the Barkley Marathon. It's a bar. It's a marathon that takes place in, I think it's like the back country of Mississippi, and it's run by. Uh, oh man, I gotta I gotta look up the guy's name, but it, it's it's run by this guy who was um like a long distance like country runner he's run uh he essentially was like what Forrest Gump did at at the end of Forrest Gump where he just runs long distances like all across he was he was part of some well-known running group in the 70s but he um he so he was like oh there's this idea of uh I think it was it was uh, J- James Earl Ray, the uh, the um, the assassin who killed, or the, I should say, the person that killed MLK. He uh, 
he escaped from this this prison and he made it I think it was like he it was like a 36 48 hour manhunt for this guy and they found him in these these backwoods and he went maybe like five miles or something and so the people that created the Barkley Marathon were like oh I bet we can last longer than that so they made this this marathon and when you start watching it it's one of those things that you're like oh my god this is insane it's you have and the, I, I, I don't want to give all of it away but let's just say to apply for the uh the Barkley is it's it's you have to jump through hoops and bounds and do all this insane shit to apply you have to when you actually are doing the marathon it's a five track it's a five loop track that they estimate that each loop is around 20 they say it's 20 miles but they actually think it's closer to 26 miles uh i think a third of it is on established trails and then the other two-thirds are just go into the woods and you have to go to certain checkpoints the checkpoints are arbit or they aren't really arbitrary but it's not geotracked or anything the guy puts books in the middle of the woods at these checkpoints and your number that your your running number is the page you have to tear out of each book to signify you're at each checkpoint so you start the first three, uh, the first three loops, you go clockwise, counterclockwise, and then uh, clockwise again. Your fourth loop, you, I think you choose which way you go or something like that. And then um, the final loop, it's whoever finishes first, they get to decide which way they go. So if there's two people, they have they're both going opposite ways. He only takes like. 60 people to do it and I think out of he's been doing it since the 80s 90s only less like 10 people have completed it you have 60 hours to complete it and and that and like that in itself is insane so you get all these different eclectic people all over the world people come to do this thing um and it's interesting just watching the people like go through the go through the Barkley people just get like utterly destroyed they have what is called the sacrificial lamb the one person that has no business being on the course they sent out there and uh and they just see how long they can last it's typically only a few hours and then they just like I'm done um but what I really love is I'm, I won't say who it is but there's a guy who's doing the Barkley and he he's the thesis of this movie because he is just like you know I was living this this existence that I wasn't happy with and I kind of changed my life career and I've always wanted to push myself and the Barkley is something that I want to push myself and he the Barkley almost breaks him almost breaks him but he is by the end of it he's like crawling to get through it and I won't say if he makes it or not but it's almost all inspiring just like watching this dude who you can just see like he's his spirit has been broken and he just keeps going forward it's like it's the it's the epitome of like the power of the human spirit just watching this man complete this like this task that so many of us would be like just watching doc like i my, my i was 